We, uh, we tonight are really, we are delighted and uh, really honored to have uh, Lauren Cunningham with us tonight. Um, if, you, if you know about missions, you'll know the name Lauren Cunningham, founded uh, YWAM uh, in 1960. Uh, and, and I really consider, you know, I don't use this word, but I would consider him a, a real general in the faith in the area of missions. YWAM is considered the largest missions organization in the world. They have over 2,000 bases. Probably, that's probably old at this point. Um, Lauren has traveled uh, the world and been in every nation um, and, and many of the, uh, the, th- the places that aren't even considered nations at this point. He is just, I, I had the privilege of hearing a little bit of him in the back today and some stories, uh, just incredible. And I could list for about a half an hour um, just all the accomplishments, but I, I don't want to do that. I just, it, it's a real honor. And I, I just want us, could we stand and just welcome him to Missions Fest tonight and just honor Lauren Cunningham. Thank you so much. What a delight to be with you. Thank you, thank you. My first time here in Edmonton was 1965. How many have been born since 1965? (laughs) Welcome to Edmonton. I was here first. (laughs) And I've, I've been pondering this afternoon the the way that Canada has affected me. I'll tell you in a few minutes. But uh, it's one of the more recent times. You know, I, I do go into crazy places in the world. I was in Erie and Jaya. They now call it, uh, let's see, what do they call it? Papua. And, uh, and there I was up in the mountains and then went down into the, the jungle. And as I was invited by a tribe that had been headhunters and cannibals for many generations. And uh, the anthropologist will tell you that no headhunter is ever a cannibal. No cannibal is ever a headhunter. But these people had not studied anthropology. (laughs) And they were both. And they added, they invited me to a feast in my honor. <laughs> Why do you not? You know, I thought, well, I, am I the menu? That's what I. <laughs> they were looking at me, and uh, you also have to be careful with your vocabulary. You know, we easily say, you know, I'd I'd like an open face sandwich, please, and. <laughs> it's, You just don't say things like that. Or he gave me a cold shoulder. Oh, where? I want one too. And uh, we say things quite lightly, don't we? You got to really think about that. But uh, I sat down on a mat in front of the elders, and they brought me the first heaping plate. And it was roasted grub worms. And so I politely took some and passed it on, remembering what I learned early, eat what's set before you, asking no questions. 
And uh, mother would often say that one. And, and they said, oh, no, it's all for you. <laughs> so I ate the whole thing. <laughs> you want to know what it tastes like? You have Kellogg's Corn Flakes here, I noted. You take Kellogg's Corn Flakes, open up a new box, pour it into your bowls, and eat the box. That's what it tastes like. There's no salt, sugar, nothing else. It's just worms. I've learned to uh, eat all kinds of things, as you can see. And I had uh, dried grasshoppers. I had jungle rat in the Amazon. They have rats as big as cats. They have... uh, It was... Fried lizards in Angola. That wasn't bad because I've had crocodiles, so that that wasn't so bad. He's just a little crocodile. And uh, I've eaten dog, cat, monkey. I've had quite a few things. And uh, But I think one of the strangest things I had was an embryo of an animal. It hadn't formed yet. It was still rather liquid. And uh, I was given that and slightly warmed. And it goes down slick. (laughs) I can can say that. (laughs) Yeah, that was here in Alberta. (laughs) They called it soft-boiled eggs. (laughs) I don't know. I just, I worry about your culture. But there's differences in the world. Have you noted? We talk different. We eat differently. We dress differently. And, uh, and yet, all of us have something in common. We're made in the image of God. And that means that every person in the world has value. The same as I do. The same as you do. We're all equal in value. And it's God's love that is the same for everyone on earth. And how could we not have Mission Fest? How could we not lift up our eyes and see the white and harvest fields of the world that Jesus asked us to do? And and see that everyone in the world has to be reached. And you know, I I believe, they've told me I'm to tell something about these books here, so I'll do that. And uh, first of all, you need to know how to know that you're good to go or to stay. Now certainly, he's already said in his word, you got to go. You got to have a word to stay. Isn't that right? All right. So, we need to understand what this means. You know, it may be go across the street or across the sea, but we have to do something about the people that don't know. And I talked about that a little more this afternoon. But tonight, as we think about not how do we know, I, 
I'll tell you a little more about that in a moment, but I wrote a book called, Is That Really You, God? Have, have any of you read this yet? Two or three, yes. And uh, it's in 125 languages now, and millions have read it. But uh, it's on knowing God's voice in your life. It all, it's all relationship. You communicate with people you love. And God communicates to us because he loves us. And because he loves us first, we love. And that's how it works. And then what do you do? After you know what, what you're supposed to do, how do you do it? And uh, that's the second book, Making Jesus Lord. So that's how to do God's will. The third one is daring to live on the edge on faith and finance. I'll talk a little bit about that, I imagine. But uh, so this is how to know God's will. This is how to do it, and this is how to pay for it. You'll need all three. <laughs> and I notice that the majority we have here are ladies, so I'll just put up this one. Why not women? Now, I... I do say this, to, I said to my wife when she gets a little feisty, I says, my next book is 10 Reasons Why Not. <laughs> 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 oh, I just hurt. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, I offended over half of the people. But uh, I do say this, that men were created first. Thank you, ladies, for understanding that. And to men, I say that God created frogs before he created men. So... <laughs> There seems to be some, not just continuity in sequence, but maybe elevation. And so, yes, isn't that wonderful? No wonder that 60% of missionaries are women. Whoa. Let's give a hand for the women. Come on, man. It sounds too warm. <laughs> that hand clap sounded very feminine. <laughs> All right, we'll talk about humility next. But uh, the last, latest is the book that transforms nations. And this is the power of the Bible to change any country in the world. And I say this with not only uh, conviction, I say this with experience. As I've gone to the nations of the earth... And I could, you could drop me down blindfolded into a nation. I'll look around, and I can tell the God they worship. And as we understand that, we understand that the Word of God is so powerful that it can even change nations. And I spoke on this, I think, the luncheon yesterday to the pastors and leaders. On, on that little word there in... Uh, in Matthew chapter 28 at verse 19, go therefore and disciple all nations. How? Baptizing them. But that word, all the other baptos are in the, in the New Testament, baptism of, the, of fire, baptism of the spirit, baptism into the body and so on. Those are baptos. But this one is baptizo. And that we found out in a uh, research there with my friend David Hamilton uh, 2,000 years ago, a, a recipe book that you bapto a salad by putting vinegar and oil and it tastes better. But if you take a cucumber, you can baptizo it, and that is over a period of time, and it becomes a pickle. 
So our goal here is to pickle all nations. <laughs> Understand that. By teaching them, teaching them, soak them in the teaching and allow God to use you in all the seven spheres of society, not just one sphere, all the seven. We need people in government to baptize them in the word of God by holding up the standard, not, not beating their heads over with the Bible, but taking the word of God and the principles and apply it into law. And that's what Jesus is saying to do. All his, obey all his commandments. And so as we do that, then you have a greater openness for the greater resurgence that we're going to have in a greater way. And that's what I really want to talk about tonight. And you can get all five of these signed tonight uh, back at the bookstore for $50. It's a $91, uh, they tell me. Uh, but those are Canadian dollars. Anyway, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> that wasn't very nice, was it? <laughs> yeah, that's cheap. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we're so in debt, we can't buy anything anyway. <laughs> I, I want to end with this word. And in between, I'm going to say some other things. <laughs> Habakkuk 2.14, for the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. Now, this is not saying that the glory of the Lord will cover the earth. That's other verses. This is the knowledge of it. The knowledge of it. How can they know unless someone is sent? Jesus said, as the Father sent me, so send I you. We are sent. And as we are sent, the word missionary, mito mitere in the Latin, I took through Latin 5 and learned this. Latin is a language dead, dead as it can be. Used to kill the Romans, now it's killing me. And I got, <laughs> I got out of there. But in, in Latin, that word mito, mitere, missionary, one sent. You are all missionaries. You've been sent of God if you're in the will of God. You're either a missionary or a mission field. You're part of his problem or part of his answer. And so when you understand that you have a purpose in life, and many have not been willing to recognize it or haven't been knowing to recognize it, you are sent into this world. Why do we celebrate your birthday? Because you're important. You've been sent into the world and no one can take your place. Get that out of your mind. You are unique in all of history, past and history future. You, there's only one of you. And we need you to do the will of God. And whatever that is, it's important because God sent you to do it. Now, don't fritter away your life. Don't use it, misuse it, don't abuse it. Use it for the glory of God. And we're going to see something wonderful for God through you. And it may be your prayers, it may be your giving, it may be your going, but it'll probably be all three. Because there's something that you're going to do that is going to make a difference in somebody's life like the little lady on the dock. 
She probably went away thinking, boy, I sure failed. But when we understand that everyone is important to God, now therefore, understand you are important. You know, the Bible says that you were fearfully and wonderfully made. Do you believe the Bible? Then I want you to say, I am wonderful. Now, some of you are acting like you don't believe it. You're giggling. I want you to say it again. I am wonderful. Now, that's what God says about you. Is that truth? All right, take it. Now, love your neighbor like you love yourself. They're wonderful too. And love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. He's more wonderful. But he made us in his image. And when we understand that, things are different. I was given the privilege of being born into a family that knew and loved God. And my family became blessed by Canadians. I'll tell you about it. I, uh, I was the eighth generation of preachers. My grandfather, Cunningham, was known as the walking Bible. He traveled and taught the word of God. I remember when he came to our home and, and uh, preached in my, where my father was pastoring. He would, uh, he would, I'd wake up, he's always in my room in the other bed, and he'd wake up in the middle of the night and he'd be studying the Bible. I never saw him with it, where I could trick him. The other grandfather, Nicholson, he was... Uh, a, a church planter started out in a covered wagon with five children. His wife and five children started t going from town to town. And four of the kids were, were musically inclined and could sing and play instruments. The fifth one was a great prayer warrior, Aunt Pebble. And she would always be praying while the others were out singing and preaching. And uh, that's the way it worked. And they started many, many churches, 18 churches. Uh, and uh, they'd go to a town and just start on the streets. So it was no wonder that my parents, when they got married, they did a similar thing. And uh, I was, uh, let's see, I was born in Taft, California, I remember well. <laughs> and uh, they were pioneering a church nearby. Sunday night, 6.30, and I was born. And when they got that church going, a couple came by, a young couple, and they, my parents felt they were go, to go and start a new one. <laughs> so the couple uh, named Gordon and Frida Lindsay, some of you know them from Christ for the Nations, and uh, their son Dennis is now the head of that ministry. And God weaves in and out of your life people that are going to ha be very important in your life down the way. And uh, watch this. And I'm speaking especially to young people here. You don't realize some of those that agitate you right now, like me, are going to actually have a place in your life that'll make a difference. I want to agitate you. I came to, uh, not just to comfort the afflicted, but to afflict, afflict the comforted. And so that's one of my job is to agitate. And so in doing this, there are people around you though that will be very key to you. 
down the line. And you don't know that right now. So pay attention and be kind to everyone around you. And so as uh, we went to, uh, we, we, I was very small, carried, carried me down to a place near the Mexican border over in Arizona out on the desert. A place called Summerton. It was summer all around the year, and the summers were really hot. We lived in a tent. It was during Depression. If you want to know how old I am, I was born in 1935, June 30th. And uh, so if you're a mathematician, you know. If you're not a mathematician, I'm 50 years old. So... (laughs) In Somerton, these are the first things I remember, about two and a half to three years old, and it was at three years old that they started me in my street ministry. My sister five, we sang together on the streets, and it was, I guess, some kind of interesting thing, and uh, people gathered around, and then dad or mom would preach to them, and that's the way they got a church started. And uh, I took my son to that church in... uh, when he was 19 years old, and I just wanted them to, him to see the building that my dad and mom made with their feet out of adobe mud, tromping mud, and putting a little straw in it, and that's how they made the, the building, and it was still standing, they were still preaching the gospel there in that little church, and so living on the border, it was a lot of traffic back and forth and no one was coming over to get a job there wasn't any jobs over here and no one was going there there were no jobs there it was great depression we had boxes for our furniture we had no beds no chairs no tables nothing else but we had God and I never felt like we were poor I never felt that in all of my life growing up because we were well we we had a rich uh, brother that just really was really wealthy. His name was Jesus. And, uh, <laughs> but I watched through life, and I met the Lord personally early in life, and uh, even got to lead my first uh, uh, businessman to the Lord when I was 10. He thanked me as an old man just before he died, Thank you. You wouldn't let me go as a little boy. You wouldn't let me go until I gave my heart to Jesus. And I think that this is a a joy and a thrill that we can do this at all ages. Encourage your children to get involved. I always thought I was a part of dad and mom's ministry. You know, I just thought, you know, this is our team. And uh, that's the way they made me feel. And it was at 13 when I was called into the a work of God on a full-time basis to go into all the world uh, from Mark 16, 15, and preach the gospel. Now, that was in big block letters, that, that verse, uh, Mark 15, 16, 15. God gave it to me. I'll let you use it. But uh, it's my verse. Anyway, <laughs> if God gave it to me, it is my verse. So <laughs> there. And, uh, but... Something happened really, we were away, f- away from home at the time on a, on a holiday, and dad had to go back to the pulpit, so mom was still there with us kids, and, and, uh, and, and uh, I went to mom and said, God's called me to go and preach, 
And she said, that's good, son, that's good. Next day, she took me down and bought me a new pair of shoes. And she said, put them on. And so I put them on. And she said, now remember this, son, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel. <laughs> so I've been wearing shoes ever since. And uh, <laughs> at 17, I preached my first sermon that Thursday night. Is a, a few farmers in a church, and the pastor said, I hear you got called to preach yesterday. And I said, yes. Would you like to preach in my church Sunday, uh, Thursday night? Okay. <laughs> you know. So I preached my first sermon. It was 10 minutes. I, I was in Billy Graham's home, and, and we were talking uh, over some history and all. He, his first sermon was eight minutes. And I, I really felt good about that. And, uh, <laughs> but uh, people have been praying that I'll get back to that 10-minute time. <laughs> but my prayers are stronger than theirs. So <laughs> there you go. I'm living in heaven. Heaven, you know, comes down and time shall be no more. And so we, we live by the word that way, that and get away with things. But uh, at age 17, 11, let's see, 11 other guys, there are 12 of us, without any sponsorship, any organization, just on our own, and uh, no church would probably get behind us and certainly no organization. But we went to Mexico, para predicar el Evangelio, and we were going to preach the gospel in our broken Spanish, which we did. And I was amazed at how many people gave their hearts to Jesus. Older people, younger people, it didn't matter. And God could use young people. And then it was, I was out in the Caribbean with five guys, five of us, going island to island preaching. And, and uh, I was going to preach that night to about 200 young people. And I was uh, 20 years old now. And that's when God gave me this vision. It was so alive and real of the waves of the oceans coming in that became waves of young people, millions and millions of young people going to every nation on earth. And that, that was so amazing to me that God was going to do it. I said, God, if you're going to do that, I want to be a part. And I want to say tonight to the young people, I want to end up with this later, much later. <laughs> Don't hurry me. <laughs> You are going to be a part of the greater move of God than anyone has ever seen in the history of mankind. It's the fulfillment of Habakkuk 2.14. It'll cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. Now, I saw a picture of that. And people ask me, have you seen it yet? No, we've had over 5 million short-term in YWAM in these last 56 years. But we have not seen what I saw in that picture way back then. And so I was 19. I jumped to 20, but I was 19. And we were traveling out in evangelism, a small group. We were really singing, uh, 14, four of us. And, and uh, it was Oswald J. Smith he invited us to speak and sing in his church in Toronto. And I'm only 19 years old. And I, that time we also ministered in David, Ham, uh, David Wilkerson's church. He was 24, a lot older. And uh, in Phillipsburg before he went to, where, you know, to New York City. And, uh, but to go to Oswald J. Smith's church... He gave us all his books, you know, and we were able to read from this man of God that kept the spark alive 
because in Canada, much, many of your mission, missionaries in the 20th century came out of, of Prince Edward Island. Have you known that per capita? They just really poured into the, the uh, mission movement in the world. And so uh, out of Canada. But it was Oswald J. Smith that kept the spark into a flame throughout World War II. Otherwise, we really wouldn't be where we are today. One man can make a difference. You can make a difference. One woman, one man can make a difference if you'll be where God wants you when, when you're to be there. And so as I, I then, uh, it, it was now as I was traveling around at that time, I went to a church in Ohio that was actually pastored by one who was born in Alberta. And his name was Scratch, Ed Scratch. And he had a brother named Claire Scratch that had become a missionary out in China. And he went through World War II in a prison camp under the Japanese. Went back, and then Mao Zedong made him his guest in another prison camp. And so he was one of those, you know, you know pioneer guys that paid a price. And, uh, but the pastor and his family... I, I ministered in that church when I was just uh, 19, 20, I guess, and uh, there in Ohio, but the pastor left on Saturday for a holiday with his family, so I didn't get to meet them, but uh, I, that was my first touch, you know, another touch with Canada, Canadians, but that might come back later on in my story, but we'll see, but anyway, as I got a little older, uh, this... Uh, pastor had had been uh, first pastoring here in Drumheller and he married uh, his wife down in Calgary and then they moved out to Edmond uh, rather Abbotsford and out in Abbotsford that's where they had a daughter that was born and her name is Darlene Joy Scratch she loved that name Scratch she became a nurse and uh, her first patient in the male ward had dermatitis and itched from head to toe. And she came in saying, I'm your, miss, I'm your nurse, Miss Scratch. I've come to take care of you. He turned over and swore at her and said, get out of here. He thought he's ma she's making fun. So anyway, I missed meeting her in Ohio. But I met her later. She's my wife. <laughs> now they were a part of a clan and friends and so on the McAllisters, the Swansons, the various names, you know. And uh, I began to walk, walk into some of these. And it was in, uh, let's see, 1962. Jack McAllister called me up. He had started this Every Home Crusade, and, uh, which is now called Every Home for Christ. And, uh, and Jack was, of course, Darlene's cousin. And, and uh, I should tell you this, Jim Swanson, her other cousin, another cousin, he invited me to speak at his church. And that's how I got to know Darlene. Because when I preached there, he called Ed Scratch over at Redwood City and said, uh, you need to have this young man. And so I went there and met Darlene. Anyway, well, I got some other people into missions too. But... Uh, 
she was too good to, to let go. I needed more di discipleship, you know, for her. <laughs> so we, yeah, but we've been going, she's only, she's a stay at home. She's only been in 152 countries, but, uh, <laughs> we have had a tremendous life together and God was calling us. We were, we were asking the Lord and uh, I, it was our first time to be separated more than two days in our marriage and we'd been married more than four years now at that time. And uh, at that time she was in California. I was in, in New Zealand launching YWAM there. And, uh, and I started with a week of fasting and prayer. And during that week, God spoke to me really, really strongly. I had things I, I held in my heart and I needed to forgive and so on and have a cleansing time. And then he said, I want you to go to Switzerland and start a school. We'd been asking the Lord, how do we get more staff? We didn't have enough staff. And he said, start a school but I don't want you to do it like any other school you've ever seen. I, I have even graduate degrees in education. He said, I don't want you to follow that pattern. I want you to do something, and I later learned the name modular. And you only have one teacher at a time, but here's the important thing, Lauren. Don't get any teacher that hasn't done and isn't doing what he's teaching. That changed everything. I was doing a thesis on this at University of Southern California on how to finish the Great Commission through training. This was back in my university days. And, and at that time, I, I, I literally looked at schools in a hundred and, let's see, in 42 nations, 74 uh, different schools, seminaries, and, and some Bible schools as well. And I found one in India that 100% came to get full-time in, into the work of the Lord, felt the call of God, and they, at the end of their time, only 4% went into the work of the Lord. And I found a lot of that around the world. And then I found they had teachers that were teaching things they'd never done. But I didn't find that then. I, I, I got rid of that thesis. I thought, I'm not going to expose these people. But I, I instead, I uh, did another thesis instead. But, but with these... I, I've never forgotten that. And then when the Lord said, I want you to get only teachers that are doing and have done what they teach. It changed everything. We had Duncan Campbell, you know, the Hebridean revival. We had Brother Andrew. Man, we could hardly hold the students back uh, to go into Iron Curtain countries when Brother Andrew spent a week with us. And, you know, there he goes, man. And there we went, and we went all over Eastern Europe. And we had Joy Dawson teaching on intercession. We had, uh, it was dear Corey Tinboom that, that got us so stirred up that we went into the Middle East and started many ministries there. And, and it just went on and on. And we found there's something called impartation, that there's those that are doing it and have done it, they can impart. All the others can give you information, but impartation is also important. And as this happened, in four years' time, a little over four, but not five, we, we saw ministry start out of that in, from Finland all the way through Spain, and we were every four hours at least apart 
for our schools that were started from Iceland all the way to Greece. We had them in several nations of the Middle East. We had them in uh, North Africa. We had them in East Africa. We had them in West Africa. We literally drove across the Sahara Desert to get to West Africa with our teams. We had them in Southern Africa. We had them literally all over that part of the world. And the way we went to Switzerland, when I came home and, and met with Darlene in California, she had fasted and prayed the same week. This is before cell phones. We didn't know what each other was doing. You know, it took, it took two or three weeks just to get a letter. And uh, she had been called to fast and pray the same week I was. Got the same message, go to Switzerland, start a school. And, so, and it was modular. And so as we did, we, we were getting ready to go to Switzerland. It was Friday, afternoon, Friday morning. My dad had been asked by Willard Cantillon. If, I, if he could, uh, uh, he was going to meet with dad. And he said, would you bring your son? I have a word for him. I've been praying for him. And so Willard Cantillon, with his roots here in, in Canada, as uh, he pulled me aside and he said, I've been praying for you, Lauren, and the Lord wants me to tell you, you're to go and start a school in Switzerland. And you're to uh, have visiting teachers. I'm not one of them, he said. But this is what you're to do. And they come in and they go out. They come in, they go out a week at a time. And that's the way the Lord imparted to us from many denominations, from many movements, people like Ravenhill, people like, you know, the ones that you think of the heroes of the faith. They were the ones that taught us. And then we were to pass it on to others. That's what they showed us. And so as, as we, uh, Willard said to me, he said, uh, did you know this? And I said, yes. In fact, we're packing today. We're going tomorrow. He said, do you know anybody? I said, not a soul. <laughs> but he said, go and we're going. He said, well, I know a man. Uh, he owns a hotel there in Switzerland. Uh, would you like me to call him? He's got an annex next to his hotel. And maybe you could start your school there. I said, Sure. And that man met us. That's where we started our school in renting his annex. And so step by step, and now it had grown and moved. And so I was over in Los Angeles preaching, and I had been preaching there, and it was Friday. I was driving down the uh, freeway, Santa Ana Freeway, towards Civic Center. When the Lord spoke to me in the car, I was all alone. And he said, Lauren, I want you to go to Hawaii. I said, when, Lord? <laughs> he said, continental noon flight. Okay, and I looked up, and there was Atlantic Boulevard. I pulled off and went to a phone booth. Now, I have to explain a phone booth for the young people. <laughs> it's, a, it's a little room <laughs> with windows, and it has a big yellow book. You put a 10-cent piece in at that time. Used to be a nickel. And uh, it has wires. It goes everywhere. <laughs> I just can't connect with youth. In oh, I know a way. It's where Superman changes his clothes. 
That's it. All right, you got it now. All right. I called Continental. They said, oh, we don't, we have a, I said, do you have a noon flight? Now, they said, yes, we have exactly 12 noon, Continental. Okay. I went on that plane. He said, oh, I'm sorry, it's full. I said, put me on the waiting list. Oh, no, that's full too, but I have one at 4.30. (laughs) Okay. I thought, I don't know how this is going to work. But, okay, book me there. And so the next morning, the Lord said, I didn't say 4.30, Lauren. I said 12 noon. I said, yes, sir. And I took carry-on luggage, went to the airport, bought an open ticket. They said, you can't get on the plane. I said, I know. Uh, And so I went to the desk and handed the man my ticket. I noticed there was a line there. And uh, he just said, yeah, come. And so I, I handed him my ticket. And he looked at it, and he said, you don't have reservation. And uh, he was trying to hand me back my ticket. I backed up and smiled. Now, young people always smile. Learn that. Learn that. I just smiled at him. And uh, he said, well, I can't deny you the privilege of standing in line. These 12 people are all waiting. We've already boarded the plane. It's full, and they're waiting. You can stand in line. I said, I don't like lines. Can I sit? He said, do what you want to. (laughs) But he kept my ticket. It's a one-way. It's okay, but I didn't have a boarding pass. Now, here's what you do. I went over where the ramp is to go into the plane, and I sat as close to the ramp as possible. (laughs) And then I leaned forward. Don't just get close. Lean forward. (laughs) And I looked up the ramp and waited. There's something important about doing the possible. So God will do the impossible. That's the team. You do the little, he does the big. And so he said, 12 noon. Now the plane, 747. Fully loaded, they said, and I'm waiting. A a man came down the ramp, and before he got to me, he looked at me and said, Mr. Cunningham, I said, yeah, get on board. (laughs) He passed me. I went on board. The lady at the door said, why are you coming? I didn't have a boarding pass, nothing. "Uh, We're full. Well, I said, the agent told me. I, I thought later, what, did he have a uniform? I don't know. I don't know whose agent he was, but it was an agent. <laughs> I know that. I said the agent told me to get on board. Well, I don't know what to do. I'll tell you what. You go back and see the purser in the back. I said, "Where's the purser?" He's way at the back, and that the curtains were all open. I could see all the way back, and there he was. And she said, "Go see him." So I started walking back, and I was there in the, you know, the big wide section. That was nice, and. Uh, passing on, and a man looked up and said, you're sure late? And I, I thought, not me. I'm early. You're on my plane. And uh, smiling at him, of course. And so didn't say it, but thought it. And as I walked back, the, the person started walking toward me, and he was scanning that big plane back and forth. And I'd ask the Lord, Lord, could you get me a window seat? I just loved window seats at the time. <laughs> And as we scan, everything is word 
true right down to the, you know, I'm not going to tell anything but truth here tonight because I don't want my heavenly father to get upset with me. So as he found one seat available on that entire plane, he pointed at it. I climbed in next to the window and sat down. And just about then, they were backing up, and I was putting my belt on and uh, my, my luggage under the seat. And uh, I said, Lord, why do you want me to go to Hawaii? <laughs> you don't have to know. He knows. But I don't get on planes like that. I get on them all the time. And I have millions of miles now under my belt, just three million miles only with United. But uh, I'm on all kinds of planes. But you have to do that. And every one of them was a miracle for me to pay for it. And I tell you that too, because I didn't have an expense account, and I never do to this point. And so as, as I watch and wait, God does it. If he wants me there and doesn't pay the bill, well, I couldn't go anyway, could I? So... As I, I was on that plane, and I thought, well, maybe, you know, we had a new base over there. I hadn't been there to ever visit them, and uh, I'd, I'd ministered there before, a few years before. But uh, why does he want me to go to Hawaii? I don't know. But when I called, got, getting to Honolulu, I called the base, and they said, oh, good to hear your voice, Lauren. We've been praying you'd come today. They had no idea where I was. As far as they knew, I was in Europe because that's where I lived. And, and uh, they just said, we knew that God wanted to send you here. And you had to come early because our leader from Japan is here and he wants to meet with you before he leaves. And if I had taken the afternoon flight, I would have missed him. But there was something more than that, more than meeting with the team, a pastoral meeting. Okay, that's good. That's important. And meeting over vision of Japan. That was important. But it was more, and I knew it. And I was there three days. And during that time, he said, I want you to start a school now in Hawaii for the area of Pacific and, and Asia. Whoa. Do you know that Asia is 70% of the world's population? Do you know that the islands, that includes Indonesia and Philippines, and Pacifica, which is Micronesia, Melanesia, Polynesia. There's over 9,000 populated islands with people that are worth just as much as you and me. There's one island we found where three people in Vanuatu speak a language no one else in the world speaks. Three people. And we're getting... Of uh, a Jesus film to them in their language. That's what we're doing now. And uh, we're getting that for a lot of these languages. There's 426 that have no Bible yet. And, uh, and most of them are in Papua New Guinea. And so as we're, we just sent out a team uh, for, of eight, uh, three people trained by Jesus film people, and they gave us a backpack. We, they went in, and this was in August, this past August, and they came back in eight weeks. They had put the Jesus film translated. These are not linguists, but these are trained how to do this. They had put the Jesus film in eight different
different languages in Papua New Guinea in eight weeks. It, there's new things happening, exciting things happening. And uh, there's, there's uh, 1,778 languages that have no Bible at all yet. And they don't have the Jesus film either, which is the book of Luke. And so we're, we're working on those. That was just uh, four or five years ago. That was over 2,000 languages. It's coming down. And now we're expecting it to speed up more because we're getting lots of te uh, teams equipped to do this. We'll get the Jesus film soon. It'll be in every language on earth, God willing, before the next few years. And so as we're doing this, at the same time, we're, well, if we can do it one book, Luke, why, not, why can't we do the New Testament? And six books, the six chapters, rather, the first six of Genesis. They need to know that. Well, if we can do that, why can't we get the rest of the Bible? And so that's the way we're going. And we're doing it orally and then handing it on to the professionals, which are Wycliffe and the others. And we're work, working every month with Wycliffe and Jesus Film. They come to our place where we are in Hawaii. How did we get there? Well, while I was praying, we, we started out and uh, went to a, 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 we rented a little uh, camp, and that was from the YWCA camp. And uh, we lived in a room, uh, Darlene and I and the kids, in a cabin, just separate cabin, that was uh, nine feet by nine feet, or three meters by three meters. And uh, put the stuff under the beds, and that was our home for the next quarter. And uh, at Christmas time, uh, my wife puts a little, little box there and a little Christmas tree and all. And that was home. And during that time in an all-night prayer meeting, the Lord said, I don't want you to be here permanently. I want you to put, go to a place called Kona. Now, none of us had been there. That was the staff of five. So I went to the students, 91 students. We started after I was there within the next uh, 45 days. We started our, our school there. And we had 91 students from different countries. And as God sent them, uh, we were teaching them how to listen to God's voice. And I, I came to them as, as the sun came up, and we prayed all night with the staff. And I said to them, I said, I'm not going to tell you what we prayed about, the theme. I won't tell you anything other than God spoke. And you've been listening to God. Now listen to God now. And uh, ask, ask him what he wants you to pray about. And uh, the first one to spoke, speak up was Joy Dawson's daughter, and uh, she said, well, I got a big letter K in my mind. The girl next to her said, oh, thank you for saying that. I thought I was crazy. I got this. It must be a foreign word. I don't know what it is, but it's K-O-N-A. I said, oh, that's a place, Kona. And, uh, and then around the room, they got more, more guidance, more details than we had had. And it was, we had gotten a lot. God, one of the things that God said to all of us and with the staff first, it was, it's going to be a lighthouse to the nations and to the world. And uh, in doing this, we, we had to go through some real tests, as you can imagine. And uh, we sent somebody over there because none of us, <laughs> out of all of the staff and students had ever been to a place called Kona. And, uh, but to rush ahead, we, we had to come up well, they wanted $8 million for this hotel. It's run down, and it was in bankruptcy 11 years by the time we got it. And we were able to buy it without money because somebody back in Minneapolis called me on the phone and said, uh, Do you, are you trying to buy a hotel there for a school? Yes. And uh, he said, Well, I was just given a, 
property, 91 acres, uh, that's commercially zoned on, on the corner of two freeways here in Minneapolis, St. Paul. And uh, God said to give it to you. And uh, I had told, I'd asked the Lord how much we were to pay, and the, and the Lord said 1.8 million. And so when I went down to the executors and offered 1.8, they laughed at me because they wanted 8 million, and I laughed because I didn't have any money anyway. And uh, <laughs> we were... We literally, we didn't. And, uh, and so anyway, they called, and their, their property was worth $1.8 and so we bought it without money. And that's what the judge finally said, you can have it for $1.8 So that's where we are now. We're presently sending out uh, uh, up to 2,000 young people a year. And we send them out quarterly. It's modular. Everything is. And so they are right, right now in 40 nations from, uh, from December. And, uh, and they, they have taken with them on their cell phone the uh, Jesus film in the language where they're going and the Bible in the language where they're going, every one of them. And they all have cell phones, as you know. And we are finding even in the little villages way up in the Himalayas, in, in Nepal, we're, we're trying to get a Bible right now in every home in Nepal. There are 7 million homes. And we give them SD cards because they want that more than the hard copy. But others want the hard copy. And just before I was leaving uh, for this trip, they were doing a special run around the campus. We have 100 and some acres. And they were running around the campus holding big weights on their shoulders to get ready to carry Bibles up in the, uh, along the trails of Nepal and uh, some of them carrying up to 100 pounds. And so as we're doing this, we're very serious about it. And they're going to home after home. They get way up in the boonies there or up in the mountains. And they'll go five days trekking to get to one village with only about six or eight, eight uh, homes. And they found their, uh, first of all, they all have cell phones. They're not connected. There's no towers. But they, it's a prestige sign. And uh, they also use it for playing music and uh, getting movies and so on on SD cards. So they already knew SD cards. So they wanted SD cards with the movie, the Jesus film, and the Bible. And so we've been doing that. And we, we also have hard copies that we give where they want that too. And so it's a thrilling thing to watch. And uh, the team before that, we sent them to 50 nations. There were 500, breaking them up into teams of 10, approximately, according to the way they were guided. And the way we did it then, back in 1969 in Switzerland, we would just gather around a map on the floor. And it was from there we... Uh, the first teams went to uh, Afghanistan, for example, just from God speaking. My sister and her, her husband led the team in. They were arrested at the border because they were trying to take in 16,000 Gospels in John, of the book of John in Farsi language. And uh, they were in a van with five of them, and, and 16,000 Gospels are hard to hide, aren't they? And, uh, and so as a result... Uh, they were held over the holy days, and then, then they came before the, the ju judges who were imams, had three judges, and they said, what, what is it? What's the evidence? So they had to read the gospel of John in their mother tongue. <laughs> they liked it so well. They said, this is wonderful. Imams, this is wonderful. 
can we have one to keep? <laughs> Our team was generous. And, uh, but they said, well, you're free to go then. And they said, but what about our, our, our literature? They, take it, take it, take it. Well, what can we do with it? Give it to the people, I guess, the spokesman said. Give it to the people, I guess. That was the first official time in history, 1970, that the gospel had been brought in legally and given away legally in Afghanistan. And we've been there through every war since then. We have been there with teams, we have schools, we have lots of things that we don't talk too much about. But we are seeing so many people come to Christ in that war-torn country. And so as God guides us, it's just wonderful to see the ways that he wants to use everybody. And uh, I better move right along. So what does God want to do now? I believe that every person in the world is going to hear the gospel. The knowledge of the glory of the Lord is the knowledge about Jesus most of all. And so they're going to know about Jesus as the waters cover the earth. I don't believe that everybody is going to maybe receive Jesus. I don't believe that because rocks under the water resist the water. But the soil receives it. We're going to see the greatest move of God the world's ever known. And this is coming, and it's coming for you. It's coming for you now, whatever age you are. But especially for those that are under 30, you're going to be used of God in ways that you are being prepared for that you haven't really understood in some of ways because they kept telling you, get rid of that, that cell phone. Get rid of it. Get, don't go on the, the online all the time and so on. But you're being prepared because... Here's what's happened. We felt, uh, when we heard in 2000 that it'd take 150 years by Wycliffe, they said it'll take 150 years to start the last language without a Bible. And uh, that was in 2000. So we started meeting together, leaders from 17 organizations, larger ministries in the world, and the four largest, we meet together even more every year. So three times a year for the, the 17. And as we do, we ganged up in prayer over Wycliffe and praying for them that they would find new ways. So the head of Wycliffe, his name was Roy Peterson, he stepped down from, from his leadership role and started inside Wycliffe the seed company. And they, we began to pray, God, give them new creative ways. And they got them, and they started using them. And so 10 years after he announced that it would take 150 years, we was there at our campus there in Kona, and he said, I can tell you now that it's no longer 150 years. It's 15 years we will start the last language without a Bible. Wow. Yes. Now, uh, as, as we were, anyway, at that time, I, I'm the eldest of the group, and uh, I get away with things, and I said, Roy, that's not good enough. It's got to be 2020. And everybody laughed, but not me. And uh, uh, a little later, he came to me. He says, we're speeding up faster, Lauren. I think we're going to get your number. 
Well, the new, he, he went on to become the head of American Bible Society, where he is now. And, uh, and just in December past, a few weeks ago, the new uh, head of Wycliffe, they call him Mr. Conservative because he'll never, he's got to know for sure. And uh, he said, I can conservatively say by 2020, we will be starting our last language on earth that has no Bible. Wow. Wow. But there's, there's one more Canadian I want to tell you about. You know, I went because God said, get on Continental Noon Flight. So we're out in Hawaii, and a brother, his name is Ainsworth. He was working for 100 Huntley at that time, heading up their prayer movement and uh, prayer rooms. And uh, the Lord spoke to him and gave him a picture of the islands of the Pacific and that they would begin receiving the gospel and revival would come and they would be used in a great way bringing revival into Asia, especially India and China. And so uh, as, as uh, he was praying about this, he said, Lord, what do I do with this word? He said, go to Hawaii. And he was told the air airline and the timing he was to go so he went to the airport it was full he couldn't get on but then God got him on he still didn't know anyone in Hawaii and just as he was getting ready to go through the the uh, gate this was before TSA and uh, they said uh, this man lives in Hawaii so he went and put it in his pocket later he pulled it out it was Lauren Cunningham and so when he went to Honolulu, he went to a Friday night meeting at YMC, or Youth for Christ, rather. And, uh, and he said to the one next to him, he said, do you know Lauren Cunningham? Does he live, where does he live? They said, oh, he lives over in Kona. So by Monday, he came to Kona, and he came and presented himself to me on campus there. And, and so we sat down and talked, and he told me his story. And he said, I had a vision of a big ship going down through the islands, and it was white, and, and there, there was a moves of God. And then out of that place went moves of God into Asia. And so I, I said, thank you, brother. We're praying for our first ship. And uh, we got our ships, and now we have 22. And uh, as we were praying and believing God, uh, we were giving most of them into those Pacific islands. And the king of Tonga, I was talking with him, and he had given us, uh, his uh, his, the prime minister had given us 50 acres to start our campus there in Lafa Lafa on the, on, in, in Tonga. And so uh, he said, I told him the story about this, the king. And he said, oh, he said, you know that, that road right out in front of your campus? We've named it a Chinese name. I said, oh, I'm so glad, because it was another confirmation. I just get, get so many of these that are so exciting, and that's what God wants for all of us, not just me. Now, it, there is a move of God that is coming, and I believe that it's going to include not just America, United States, I should say, and Canada, but it's going to include all over the world. And I want to show you, I grew up near Santa Monica for a certain period of time, and I loved to surf. And that's when God used the surf for me at that time to see the multiplied millions of young people going forth. But recently, I have this vision of a growing, growing, growing wave.
and the wave will eventually turn and tip over and become foam. I want you to see the foam as the knowledge, the glory of the Lord that people are going to know because that becomes all white and starts covering everything. And as you think about this, I want you to see there's a jet ski taking them up. Some of us have the privilege and the calling to bring forth others, open the door for others. And a door opener is just as important as the one that goes through. The little lady on the dock, that was just important as the other guy. Every one of us have a role, and we need to find that role and do it for the glory of God because the knowledge of that glory is going to cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. So if they'll help me up here at the techies, to put on the big wave. I want to show you what a big wave is like. Now, I, we have uh, Christians that are ride these big waves, but here you see the older generation taking up the younger, but the younger staying on his uh, board. Your board is your gift and calling, and don't get off of it because you see somebody with another board. Stay on that board or you'll be in trouble, I'll tell you. Uh, yeah, this is a pretty big wave. Wow, I've never ridden that big a wave. I thought I had big waves. No, this is a big wave. That's what's coming. It's a mighty spiritual awakening. Way beyond revival. Revival is of the saints. This is a spiritual awakening. And the knowledge of the glory of the Lord is going to cover you. But when he does, don't stop. There's still some more that haven't heard out in front. Keep going and keep going, and you'll come out the front of it and get to some more. Yes, of course. Don't stop. And I want you to know we're going to see a spiritual awakening. North America had one just after in the 19th century at the beginning of it, in the 20th century at the beginning of it. I believe we're going to have something far, far greater, and it's a spiritual awakening. Revival, yes, we need to, but it's a spiritual awakening that is going to cover the earth with now soon 8 billion people on earth. And it's going to hit Asia, but it's going to hit the islands of the Pacific. It's going to hit the places that we don't think about, every place on earth. And I can tell you this, that across the ring around the, 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 uh, the north in the Arctic, we were meeting, I see Errol back here, stand up Errol. He, he's go, always going into, he has ministered all over to the villages of Greenland. And uh, we had ones from all over the north, and they were praying there in the Kaliut, where they have a road to nowhere. I got a sign for that. And, uh, and as we were praying up there, that was 2008, and God began to show us a ring of fire around the north, too. He wants to cover there. And I was the same year down in the Antarctic in 12 locations, so I've been in both, you know, I, I'm bipolar now. And so as, as you see what God is doing in the world. It's one of the greatest moves of God the world has ever known. You want to be a part of that? You want to, don't miss it. Don't miss this next wave. This is your wave, whatever age you are, but especially you young people. I want us now to bow in prayer. And I want us to just say to the Lord, Lord, I know you're going to do this. I don't want to miss out on it. 
Will you allow me to be a part of what you're about to do? That was my word to the Lord when I saw the first waves back in 1956. And I thank the Lord that I ever could become a part of just the things that he is doing. There's so much bigger than me and all of us put together. But he does those things through us and allows us to be that spark to get the fire going. That is his fire through you. And I want you to just say to the Lord, Lord, I'm available and I will commit now that wherever you tell me to go, whatever you tell me to do, I will do it, and I will wait for your time, your season, your way, but I will prepare myself now for your purposes by simply saying, I want to obey you. With the lamp to my feet, every step of the way, I want to take it, but I want to see, at least vaguely out there in the distance, the light to my pathway of where I'm going. With this great move of God, would you show me? It doesn't have to be geographical. It doesn't have to be anything. But just to know that I'm going to be a part of this big move that is coming and it's happening now. It's growing now. And over these next few years, you're going to see it come into the most powerful wave of God. I believe it'll especially be uh, just in the next few years. And we need to recognize this. And if you're ready to say that, I want you to stand to your feet and pray a prayer with me. Don't stand until you're ready. You may do this later tonight or tomorrow or some other time. But pray this, Lord Jesus, I commit you to you as my Lord. And therefore, I will obey you. I need to hear from you. And I will do what you confirm to me. What is your will for today, tomorrow, and even the rest of my life, whatever you want to say. I give it all to you. I lay aside those things that are, are not of your will for me. I lay down those things as a sacrifice of praise and worship. And I glorify you by obeying you and doing whatever you say. Whether, whether ever, wherever it is, whether it's big or little in my eyes, I just simply want you. I want to know you more. I want to make you known. And I am here to say, here am I. Send me. I will obey. In Jesus' name. Now I want to pray for you. Lord, I pray for an impartation of your anointing, of your understanding, of the clarity of your word for each of these decisions that have been made. Take those decisions, Lord, that are seed and let them grow in their spirit, in their heart, in their mind, and then in their works. Faith without works is dead. And Lord, we do it by faith and we will do what you call us to do. Now, we need grace. Grace to be able to accomplish your will. 
And so many times I could say, Lord, without you, I could not have made it through that day and uh, not even alive. And so you were there over and over again. And I pray now that you will give them that grace and the understanding that the grace of God, the amazing grace, is upon them. In Jesus' name.